Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. What's up, everyone? Hope you all are enjoying this month of June, enjoying the nice weather, school's out, the sun is shining. Man, I love this time of year. I really, really do. I think, you know, I just, I think from, from an animal standpoint, because all of my animals are able to be outside in their outdoor exhibits, they're able to, you know, be in their outdoor ponds, they're basking in the sun all day. I absolutely love it, especially out here on the river. But uh, I'm not going to lie, it's been kind of, I feel like in the summer months, things just like pick up, it just gets busier. Uh, just, you know, we're working on some new exhibits, we're actually, I'm, I'm super excited, I guess it's the first time I'm going to publicly say it, but I mean, not like it's <laughs> that big of a big surprise, but uh, we're working on a new alligator exhibit, which I am so excited about just because uh, it's going to be for our two American alligators, Chompers and Sonny. And uh, Sonny's around 10 feet. If you follow me on Instagram or you know Facebook, you know I, I post about them almost every single day. So Sonny's around 10 feet and Chompers is six. But we are uh, gearing up to build the new alligator exhibit. We're also uh, busy doing educational outreach programs here kind of in the Treasure Valley area in Idaho, which is great with the animals. We love doing that. And uh, also working on some new things in the works, some exciting stuff in the works, which I can't wait to share with you. This will be the first platform I shared on. I'm just kind of, like I said, uh, kind of things are kind of under wraps right now, but when I'm able to share the news, I will share it with you. So long story short, it's been kind of, uh, kind of crazy trying to keep up with the podcast, but I'm doing it. I'm going strong. And uh, I'll tell you what, I had such a good time with my interview, uh, interviewing the Cheetah Whisperer. That's right, the Cheetah Whisperer, I love that. I mean, that's awesome. She needs to get that trademark. I think it's great. Uh, her name is Erin, and she, I have never met someone so passionate about cheetahs in my life. And so I actually discovered her through Instagram. I think she actually discovered me on Instagram, then I followed her because her Instagram is pretty much awesome. She just posts about cheetahs all day. I mean, I just hit like, 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 uh, just because she posts some amazing photos of her work with cheetahs. But, I mean, when I reached out and I was like, hey, would you want to come on the podcast? She was really eager about it. She sent me her credentials, which are crazy. You're going to hear about them. But uh, I just, I really didn't know what to expect. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd never talked to her before. And with the podcast, you don't know if people are going to be comfortable with the microphone or, you know, this or that. And I'll tell you what, she was great. She was comfortable, great speaker. Her enthusiasm and passion just, she completely blew me out of the water. So uh, I just, like I said, uh, was really, really impressed with her. And uh, just her passion at such a young age, this is uh, actually the youngest person we've ever had in the podcast. And so she is 23 years old and she has accomplished so much. So for those of you out there, of course, you're animal lovers. This is a great episode, not only if you love cheetahs, but if you grew up, let's say, in kind of a small town, you ever wanted to get out in the world and just pursue your passion and your dream, Erin uh, is living proof that you can do this. And uh, we just talk about her career. And, and also, I learned so much about cheetahs. I love it. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Erin, the cheetah whisperer. Well, Erin, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Corbin. Yeah, so this is so cool about Instagram, which I love. I think you were one of the first people I ever reached out to. Now, did I follow you first or did you follow me? I think I probably followed you first because at first I listened to the Zookeeper Stories podcast and that's how I heard about you. So then I went and looked you up on YouTube and followed you on Instagram. Oh, okay, yeah, because and then I saw your page and I'm like, wait, this chick is so cool. The cheetah whisperer, like, wait, what? That's actually, an awesome name. I actually get a lot of crap for that username. I made it when I was a freshman in high school just because I like cheetahs a lot. And now people tell me it comes off too cocky, but I've always had it, so I don't want to change it. Don't change it. I think it's cool. Own it. I think it's so cool. It was so cool. I was just doing a Facebook Live earlier and I was like, sorry guys, I have to go. I'm gonna do a podcast with the cheetah whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, you know, Aaron, I have to say, you know, first of all, just checking out your resume, it is insane. I mean, you sent me your credentials. I mean, wait, can I ask how old you are? I'm 23. You're 23? Yep. I'm probably one of the youngest people you've had on the podcast. Oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Okay, so so you have done everything. So you are currently, and we'll you know, obviously dive into this, but you're currently a seasonal keeper at the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, correct? Correct. But then you also worked at the Cheetah Conservation Fund and Wildlife Safari? Correct. They were both internships. 
Well, okay, internships. And then you also did an internship at Disney World. Correct. <laughs> and then you also got a you had a paid position at the John Ball Zoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you and then you are currently in between your seasonal position at the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium. You are currently uh, volunteering at the Hunting Timbers uh, Animal Rescue Facility. That is also correct. How do you find time to live? Oh my goodness, your resume is amazing. I just love animals so much, and especially cheetahs. So. I think the main driver for that was once I graduated high school, I was like, mom and dad, I love you, but I'm out of here. <laughs> okay. So let's actually back up. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Spring Lake, Michigan. So it's on the West side of Michigan, right on the beach. Oh, nice. Okay. And is that, I, I am actually familiar with Michigan. My fiance is from Michigan, but she's on the East side, not the West. Oh, Okay. So is it a small town, a small um, community? Yeah, it's a pretty small town. It's around Grand Haven, which is Coast Guard City, USA. So that's a bigger beach town. But the main closest city in the area city in the area is Grand Rapids. So that's probably a bigger one most people have heard of. Okay. And are you outdoors exploring as a kid? Or, I mean, what was your first oh, animal yeah. experience? Okay. Um, my parents built our house on 80 acres of land. So it was right on a little river, the Grand River, and then we had a bunch of woods and a swamp area. So my dad was always pulling me outside, and we would go to our pond and catch salamanders and frogs and see all the deer and raccoons and possums. And people would actually, we lived in the country, so people would drop off their cats they didn't want, unfortunately. So then all of a sudden we had all these cats. And so that's how I convinced my dad to let me keep the cats. So, (laughs) Oh my goodness. Did you have any siblings or are you an only child? No, I'm an only child. So I think that's one of the big reasons I've been able to go so many places far away because I've had tremendous support from my parents and I have really big extended families as well. So actually when I went to Africa, I did a GoFundMe and ended up raising $4,000. Wait, what? Yeah. Hold on. I didn't even realize that you've actually been to Africa. What part of Africa? So the Cheetah Conservation Fund is in Namibia, which is the southwest right above South Africa. Oh, I thought it was – and I was I was thinking, I don't think I've ever heard of this thing in the States. Okay. Oh, my goodness. And what, that is insane. You raised $4,000 to go to Africa? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty expensive plane tickets. And then you're paying for your housing and all your food is included as well. Oh my God. Well, congratulations. Okay. So we'll back up again. So you grow up in the outdoors and then you go to high school and then did you go to college or did you go straight to internships? Yeah, I took off to the upper peninsula of Michigan. I went to Northern Michigan university for my first two years, but after the first year and we had snow pretty much year round, then I decided to do an internship at Disney to gain a little bit of warmth back in my system. So, But there I didn't work with animals. I had an internship in ride operations. So I worked at Disney Quest, which is a five-story indoor arcade. And that definitely wasn't my thing, but they p- just place you random places. So, But I really value that experience for the hospitality training they gave you. I was in training for probably a month and just hospitality. So that's been really helpful in the zoo field too. Yeah, that's great. And I'm sure you probably on your time off love going to the animal kingdom there, huh? Oh yeah, definitely. I probably rode the Kilimanjaro safari ride every day. I just love that. So man, I love that ride. You know, I did it completely wrong. I've only been once and I tried to do animal kingdom and Epcot in one day. It was, it was just, you have to do one park per day. You just can't cover everything in one day. Yeah. Yeah. I love it though. Beautiful exhibits. And anyway, yeah. Okay. Okay. So basically, so you're at Disney and then what happens? What is your first wildlife related position or, or uh, internship? So after Disney, I went back to school for a year and then I got a job at John Ball Zoo as a zoo interpreter and educational interpreter, which was a really good entry level job for me. We worked in the interactive exhibits. So kangaroo walkabout, stingray petting, budgie aviary, and some goat petting zoo stuff. So that was a pretty typical first zoo job, I would say. Yeah. And, and, and just for listeners uh, who are, aren't familiar with the John Ball Zoo, where is that located? That's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. In, in so Grand Rapids. Yep. It's a little bit of a smaller zoo, but still awesome in AZA. So they have a really cool tiger exhibit they just put up. Oh, I have to check it out. I've, I've never been to the John Ball Zoo. Now, was that competitive to get into? Um, yes, I would say everything in the 
Zoo World is competitive. It was easier just because it was an entry-level job, though, and not actually a keeper position, too. So a lot less applicants to that as well. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Oh. Very cool. Okay. And then John Ball Zoo, and uh, what is your next your next adventure? Is that Africa? Yes. So then I went, that's after that I transferred to Grand Valley State University, and so that's right next to Grand Rapids. And then, but at this point, I still hadn't worked with cheetahs, so it was just always in the back of my mind. And I always tell people when they ask when I started liking cheetahs, I just tell them from conception because I can't really (laughs) pinpoint it. And I think it started probably more when in 2002, the Wild Thornberries movie came out. And then Eliza Thornberry could talk to animals. So, of course, I thought that was awesome. And she rescued cheetah cubs from poachers. And I think that's when it really solidified. But at one point, I'm not going to lie, I reached 100 cheetah stuffed animals as a child. So, but after that, it started reaching a point where I thought I could go into it for a career and not just this weird fetish on the side. So, (laughs) that is so, I'm so happy there's other individuals like that. I mean, that's so cool (laughs) that you're just so obsessed with cheetahs. That's awesome. I mean, did you like other cats or was it just cheetahs? No, it's just cheetahs. Like, People say, well, you might have to go into other areas of the zoo to get experience, but I don't want to. I just want to work with cheetahs. So what is it about cheetahs that's always fascinated you? I mean, what? I can't even answer that when people ask. I mean, they're the fastest mammals on the earth and just, I don't know, their history as well. Just how in the last 100 years, their population has gone from 100,000 in the wild to about that 7,000 in the wild and just their whole history of that and the population bottlenecks. And I don't yeah. know, to be honest, is the way to answer that is I really don't have a reason. Yeah, just just always in there. And then just talk a little bit. I know we're kind of going all over the place. But if, hey, if you're a fan of the podcast, you know how that goes. Uh, <laughs> can, you explain, can you explain for people who aren't, I guess, in biology, can you explain the genetic bottleneck effect really quick just for listeners? Um, so basically the way what happened with cheetahs is sometimes there's a mass extinction and right after the Pleistocene era, a lot of vertebrates went extinct. And so they got into these small fragments and populations. So what happened to the cheetah population is they all got fragmented. And when they get fragmented, they have a lot of inbreeding that goes along and there's actually a fact that cheetahs are so related to each other, you could take a skin graft from just any random cheetah in the world, put it on a cheetah that needs it, and there would be no rejection chance at all. So that's how related they all are. Wow. Yeah, that's my favorite fact. One of my favorite facts. To well, you tell. just blew my mind. You just saw, I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, that's just, wow, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, and just because poaching is still a pretty decent thing. Um, People aren't really using them for pelts, but the exotic pet trade in the Middle East is really bad for cheetahs right now. So it's a lot of like fast cars and cheetahs, the the social status thing in the Middle East. So that's a big thing. And also in Namibia, it's actually legal for a farmer to shoot a cheetah if it comes on their land and affects their livestock. And there are a lot of conservancies and reservations in Namibia, but the problem is that lions, hyenas, and leopards are pushing all the cheetahs out and onto farmland. So Mm -hmm. a lot of them are getting shot, but thankfully the Cheetah Conservation Fund has developed a program called the Livestock Guarding Dog Program where they breed Anatolian shepherds and give them to a farmer for a small fee. And so the dog doesn't fight off the cheetahs or predators, but just by their loud bark, it actually scares the cheetahs away since they're so skittish. And it's had an 80% success rate since they implemented it, which is huge. So that's a super awesome program they have out there right now. That's a great program. And I don't think people like, I mean, because I've, I've been to Africa. I've seen cheetahs before in the Maasai Mara, which it's just mm-hmm. incredible. Oh, I would I've love seen, to go there. You have to. And oh, by the way, another side note, sorry, just, you know, rabbit hole. <laughs> but have you seen, I'm sure you've seen Disney's African Cats, right? Oh, yeah. I was actually at Goodwill this morning and got a copy of it on DVD (laughs) Blu-ray. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. So I get to talk about how excited I am for that. So I was done with this interview. That's what I'm watching. And I'm posting up with my four cats in my and we're watching Oh, that's so funny. That is such a good movie. But I'm telling you what, the lion and the cheetah scene, man, I was biting my fingernails. I mean, like, seriously, like, I felt like I was going to bite my fingers off. It's just so intense because, 
I mean, just talk about it because these cheap are they're like, I mean, regarding carnivore level, they're at the bottom of the, you know, bottom of the barrel, correct? They really are. Yeah. Just because since they're so slender and you have to be to get up to those high speeds and all their body is just a bunch of adaptations for speed. So they have semi-retractable claws. So they kind of act like trap cleats and they're out all the time. So that's more like a dog's claws than cat's claws. Um, their head is really streamlined and aerodynamic, almost like an airplane to cut through wind resistance. Their spine is super flexible, and so it helps them extend their front and back legs out further. And so they can actually cover 25 feet of distance in just one stride, and they can do four strides in one second. So if you do the math on that, 25 times four, in one second at top speed, they can cover 100 feet of distance. Wow. That's a lot of information right there at you, but pretty cool. I just love talking about stuff like that. No, that's great. This is why you're on the podcast. These are <laughs> animal lovers. I, I'm finding it so interesting. I just forgot what I was going to ask you. No, uh, that's <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so you basically, uh, I mean, so you go to Africa. Mm-hmm. At, I mean, was it hard? I'm just thinking, like, because if I'm someone listening in the car and I'm like, wow, I really like cheetahs, could I do this? I mean, was it hard to get into this cheetah conservation fund program? Um. Well, a lot of people think it would be harder than it is, but because you have to pay and it's such a significant fee, they take just about almost everyone because you're paying. And so if you're a college student and you're doing something science-related or ecology-related or communications-related even, you can give tours and they'll take you. So it's actually a lot easier to get into than you think just because of the fees. So if someone really wanted to do it, you could do an internship. But if you're not college age, you can also do a working volunteer or working guest. And that really doesn't have any criteria, but you still okay. have to apply for it. So that's okay. a good place to go. Now, Aaron, I, I, I have to ask, and listeners are wondering, like, how much is it? I mean, can I ask that? Is that too personal? <laughs> it's not personal for me, but I don't know if it's too personal for CCF. Um, overall, it cost me about $6,000 to be there for two and a half months. Okay. Because airfare was 2000 to and from and then to stay per month is about 2000 american dollars so plus you have to get a passport and all these different vaccinations oh, oh at least <laughs> luckily i didn't have to get all of them the dumbest thing i did was not get the rabies vaccination before going over there and my doctors told me I all needed to do that. And then with school and exams, it just got too busy for me. And I left only a couple days after exams too. So that semester was actually pretty awful for me because I was working as a waitress about 30 hours a week, going to school full time, and then trying to research and prepare to look more intelligent when I got there. So <laughs> that was not my best semester. We'll just leave it at that because I was hey. too excited for my first time working with cheetahs. So. Yeah. And, and by the way, just to kind of go back. So I, were you pursuing a biology related degree or zoology? Uh, yes. My degree is biology with a wildlife emphasis. Oh, cool. Okay. Very cool. Okay. So is this, the, so this is the first time you go to Africa. What is your first thought? You land in Africa. Bam. Um, I had a lot of thoughts. First, let me start with my mom was supportive, but I thought my dad was going to have a heart attack when I told him I wanted to go there. And I was super excited when I got accepted and then between him and my grandma, they're like, you're going to die. All these bad things are going to happen to you. So I'm like, Sit down and listen to me. It's not like I'm dropping into a war zone. This is a safe conservation area next to a perfectly fine city, next to a perfectly fine bigger city. So we had a little argument about that. But And then my plane trip was about 17 hours. And then all the layovers. So, um, yeah, my first thoughts when I got there were just amazed at first. But then it was just all red, dry dirt for miles. And Namibia is just a really dry place. And they have the Namib Desert, which is a huge desert with giant sand dunes. But they have really cool lions and giraffes there, which I didn't get to see. But they're specialized to that dune ecosystem. So that's something you can check out. But I forgot the exact name of the place they are. Uh-huh. Oh. Is it wait, so that's on the 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 skeleton coast, correct? Correct. Yep. Wow. So I never I, made it to the coast either, which is 
sad. I didn't plan enough time before or after my internship to actually go explore. The only place I did get to go was Etosha National Park, and that was absolutely amazing there. So that's another thing I recommend if you ever make it to Namibia. Yeah, when it it doesn't seem, I mean, like I feel like that is a popular destination, but not as popular, let's say, as like the Masai Mara, Serengeti, or like Kruger. I mean, so it's definitely, you know what I mean? Yeah, people just don't know about it. Like they don't think of Namibia when they think of Africa, but they have all these really cool things to do there. You just have to get a travel agent maybe or talk to me. Yeah, well, I'm going to talk to you if I'm planning to go to the Skeleton Coast or I guess in that area, not the coast. But <laughs> so your first thought, I mean, so this, this is the first time you ever worked with cheetahs. I mean, I'm sure you've seen Correct. them at zoos, right? Have you seen them at zoos? Yeah, prior? I've seen them in zoos, but they're all pretty far away or sleeping and it's just not the same. So back to Africa, the first time you're working like with the cheetahs, what, I mean, what is your first thing, like your first thought? I mean, is Um, it just, well, I got there in the dark by myself. So at first I was really scared, but the next morning when I was walking up, there was a cheetah named Romeo who used to be a house pet. So he was the nicest, most friendliest cheetah I'd ever met. And he would just stared right into my eyes and I just stared into his eyes and We just had a little moment there, or at least I think I had a moment with him, and he was probably trying to look at the birds he wanted to hunt in the background, but (laughs) I was just ecstatic and elated, and I probably almost didn't make it to my internship on time that first morning, but our office building was right around a circle of pens, which we called center pens, and we had about, I can't exactly remember, but I think 13 cheetahs right outside of the office. But the cool thing about CCF is they have pens that are like a hundred acres large and wide. And so their cheetahs are just running around. There's one pen in particular where sometimes we couldn't find the cheetahs. So we'd have to drive our safari truck in to find the cheetahs. It was a group of five females. So it was a unit of cheetahs, I like to say. Now, so is this, I'm I'm assuming conservation fund, is this a breeding um, is, no. is this a breeding center or are these rescue? Like, can you? These can are you rescue. Rescue. Namibia doesn't breed. Um, they there was something in the government where they made it so they just do rescues. They don't breed. South Africa is where you're going to see a lot of the breeding for cheetahs. So at the time I was there, we had 34 cheetahs, which was just the best thing ever for me. And that's why the number of cheetahs I've worked with is so high because at there was 34. Oregon was 22. And the Columbus Zoo is 16 now. So I think my number is somewhere around 71. Wow. <laughs> 71 cheetahs. That is just, just blows my mind. I mean, that's so, okay. So back onto these rescues. So, so these are mainly pets. No, um, not all of them were pets. We had some that were house pets, some that were almost farm cheetahs. So they would come onto a farmer's land, and unfortunately, a lot of times, he would shoot the mother and try to keep the cubs. But cheetahs can be pretty hard to raise in captivity if you're not a cheetah expert. So a lot of times, most of them would pass away, but some might live, and they just keep it on their farm as, like, they're almost like their little dog. And just, they Mm. would keep it. So some were really friendly and there was a new law that just passed that farmers are, well, people in general are not allowed to own pet cheetahs. So some were pets, some were rescues, um, some were with injuries and they can't be re-released. But the cool thing about CCF is that they can train these cheetahs to go back into the wild and be successful. So depending on their wildness aspect is how I like to put it. Um, At first, we just feed them a bowl of meat, and then you can start with an open carcass, and they can learn to eat out of the carcass. And then you start with a carcass that's just the full carcass. They have to learn to tear it open and eat out of it that way. And we exercise our cheetahs every day at CCF. So they have big pens, and what we do is stand in the back of a truck And we race the truck around the outside of the enclosure, and then we throw the meat out in front of the cheetahs, so the fastest cheetah gets their meat first. And then we drive to the next corner, the second fastest cheetah gets their meat. So they're getting really good exercise to practice sprinting to go back out into the wild. Wow. Wow. And just curiosity, were you guys feeding them goats or roadkill? I mean, how is... So at CCF, we have a program with the local farmers to purchase retired donkeys, And so we use the donkeys, which is good because that's a leaner meat than beef. And we want leaner meats for cheetahs. 
it's something to do with their unsaturated fats. And I can't get into that because I'm not that scientific about it yet, but I'm learning about it. So I actually just got side note, this book, it's called cheetahs biology and conservation. It's 550 pages about (laughs) cheetahs. So I knitted out and pre-ordered it. So I'll show you how big it is, but I have this book and a ton of other cheetah books. And so I don't have any friends here in Columbus because I don't know anyone. So I just go home and read my cheetah books like a good little nerd. So hopefully (laughs) when I start in and probably in the next month, I'll start narrating our cheetah runs at the zoo. So hopefully I'll have a good information storage of facts to use by then. I didn't even realize there's that much information. That is a giant book. Yeah, I'll read you some of the topics because I think it's important for people listening to know. And it's things like poaching and our livestock guarding program, cheetahs in Iran specifically, um, just cheetah history, their range status. There's so many different things. And that's, Aaron, that's interesting that you brought that up because I bet a lot of people don't know this. I mean, obviously, if you're super into cheetahs or, or animals, you might know, but cheetahs aren't just in Africa. They're also in the Middle East, correct? Mm-hmm. They think there's only about 50 to 100 individuals right now over there. So I think they will probably become extinct, possibly in my lifetime. Um, unless they can somehow bring them all in from the wild and breed them. But with such a small population, the genetics on that are still going to be really bad. And at CCF, they have a museum, actually, and they have this whole panel on the birth defects of cheetahs with inbreeding problems. And sometimes they can be born with six legs or a double-faced head, or what's most common is problems with their teeth, and then they can't chew and they can't eat. So... And any problem for cheetahs is pretty detrimental because they need sprinting to catch their prey. So if they sustain any little injury, it's pretty likely they're done for in the wild. So you're working with these cheetahs. You're there for, you said, two months, correct? Like closer to two and a half, yeah. Two and a half. Is there ever any time, because, I mean, cheetahs still are large cats. I mean, were you ever nervous at any point in time working with them? No, and it was probably just my own ignorance, to be honest. But at the same time, at CCF, I wasn't really going in with unprotected contact with them ever. The only time I got to was near the end when I built up my trust more with the keepers. Um, I got to go in and practice giving them meds off a ladle. So I wasn't getting too close to them. I was just tipping a spoon into their mouth. But... um, they're not going to make people go in with the ones that are more on the wild side. So the ones we go into were probably house pets. And so they're used to human contact. Like at the Columbus zoo, we, all our cheetahs are ambassador cheetahs. Um, We're kind of like the St. Jude's children hospital to orphan cheetah cubs. So we're really good. Well, I don't want to say we, not me. Yeah. I haven't learned how to take care of baby cheetahs, but they are really good, especially Susie Rapp at bringing in cheetahs that, are they just need help medically or maybe their mom didn't want to raise them or she wasn't producing milk so we raised them so we have them from itty bitty babies and since they get so much contact with us as keepers they just learn to imprint on us a little bit and so they're very comfortable around us so most of the time in zoos they never really have incidents with cheetahs and since Mm -hmm. cheetahs are so skittish they're not gonna try to start a fight with you they're used to running away just because they don't have muscle mass in their lower legs, like a leopard would, that they could use to drag prey up a tree, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, now, okay, so back on your first encounter with Romeo the cheetah, did you were you able to like sneak your little hand in there and like touch him? I mean, were you able to do that? I mean, when no uh, one was looking, like I would have never risked that at first. I wouldn't, <laughs> not me. I would not risk my internship or any job like when they tell me don't stick your fingers in there i'm not doing it i just don't want to risk that so but eventually i was allowed to go in at the end of my internship and give him a few pats so that was pretty exciting for me that's amazing so is there one like one experience that like take away from africa that stands out in your mind was it with romeo or was there just one thing where you're just like ah I have two. Um, you, so, you only have time for one. No, I'm kidding. Oh, I'll try to be fast about it. I could no, talk. I'm totally kidding. This is a podcast. I'm totally messing with you. You could have so, 15 and I would sit here and listen. <laughs> the first one, I used to run our Anatolian Shepherds in the morning. I thought I was going to try to be fit while I was over there. 
And so there was a dog named Nesbit, and he was my favorite, and I absolutely loved him. And then one morning, we were running, and we came across a troop of baboons. And so baboons are very aggressive, and you don't want to mess with them. And we had any time from 20 to 50 baboons just running right around. We weren't in campsites, but we were, were in... I don't know. I don't know what material the houses were built in, but right outside was the woods. So at any time, baboon, leopard, warthog, kudu, anything, they could come right up. And we ate lunch at a table that was outside right next to the bush. So we saw wild animals all the time. And that was awesome. But so we had probably about 30 baboons in front of us. I'd turn back around to go back with the dog. I'm like, we're not messing with that today. Uh uh-uh. uh. And <laughs> I turn back around and then there's a family of warthogs with babies. And so warthogs can be very aggressive and protective too. And a fun fact about them is they actually back into their burrows. So if a leopard were to come and try to get them, they can run out full speed and get them with their tusks. So having baboons on one side, warthogs on the other side, and there there's so many baboons that they're spilling around spilling around on my right and left side too. So at this point, I don't have my phone or radio because I'm out for a run, which was really dumb to just not have any form of contact on me. So I'm like, I'm really just praying this dog does not bark at them. And what does the dog do? Start to pull and bark at the baboon. So I had to sit there and think like, Aaron, do we want to run towards the baboons or do we want to run towards the warthogs to get away? So I just pulled on the dog and we went towards the warthogs because I thought that was probably the better decision to make. And thankfully they just ran away. So that will always stick in my mind about how scared I was and about to pee my pants at that moment. So baboons are scary. I remember like, they're scary. They're scary. Their teeth are huge. They're super aggressive and they were everywhere. So yeah, we had one Aaron. This was insane. Like in, we were in uh, Lake Nakuru national park, just about to go into the national park and everyone mm-hmm. had their like packed lunches and I'm just figuring, you know, fiddling around with my camera equipment and a baboon jumped in the front seat oh, and no. grabbed our lunch and it had a baby on it. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. And it all happened so fast. And like, it literally grabbed the like grabbed the lunch and it it was that it doesn't was, surprise me at all. I feel like I would have been really scared, but at the same time, I would have whipped out my camera and been like, "Ooh, a baby! I'm gonna take ten thousand pictures." See, but, yeah, and that's the thing. But th- I, and I think you would agree they're so fast. So it literally happened in <laughs> seconds. Like it was just there. It grabbed the lunch and then just it, anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's scary. Yeah, you don't even have time to process it, and that's the only animal I've ever really been scared of. Is, of was baboons to be mm-hmm. honest everything else doesn't bother me at this point not even sharks or snakes or tarantulas are the typical scary things but baboons and other primates have the most ability to scare me so i think and maybe now that i've worked with wolves a little bit they do too sometimes just because of their social structures but we'll get to that later oh yeah 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 of course okay so what is your second your second encounter you said that was just like that stuck out in your mind so they the tracking team took me out to do telemetry, which for people listening is a big metal tracker with a machine that beeps when you're pointing in the direction of the animal with the tracking collar in to put that in the simplest terms, probably. So they released a cheetah named Zinzi and she had actually bred and had cubs, which was a super big success to release a cheetah and for it to breed. And so we went out to track her. And so they had me carry, well, I'm also volunteered to carry this because I wanted to look tough, an entire horse leg of meat. So I like tried to lift it up behind my shoulders. So I just have all this meat juice and grossness all over my shirt. So I had to carry that through the bush to find the cheetah. And it was just me and this French guy named Bart. And so hi, Bart, by the way. But so we went out there to track the cheetah and he's like, just stay behind me. And I'm like, okay, is this cheetah kind of wild? And he's like, yeah, because she's been out here for a while. And all he had was a stick. And I'm like, how are you going to protect me with your little stick? Well, I have this whole horse leg on my shoulders. But so we actually got really close. And I was probably about an inch away from him as far as close as I could get to be safe. But he's like, okay, we're really close. She's going to come out of any direction. And she came from behind me and of course like all i hear is just this cheetah running through the bush and i'm like oh no i just like 
launch that horse leg off the back of my shoulders and like ran behind a tree and all she was interested in was the meat so we were good but that was probably besides the baboon moment that was the second scariest thing at the same time it was so cool but my all the credit I had towards being trying to be a tough girl was gone because I'm sure I squealed like a little girl so that was a really cool moment. But then we just kind of, she clearly recognized Bart. So we just kind of sat behind a tree and watched her eat. And we were waiting to see if she would call her cubs. So she had three older cubs, but she was calling to them, but they weren't coming. So unfortunately, I didn't get to see her cubs in the wild, which was really sad for me. But they were all healthy. We learned that later. So that was good. That was probably the coolest thing I did in Africa. That was very smart to just like toss the leg. I think I would have tossed it a lot. Matter of fact, I would have made Bart hold it if I were you. You're a lady. I mean, not that you're like. <laughs> no, I was sat on being a tough girl. I'm like, I'm as strong as the guys. I'm going to haul this through the bush like a, a um, like just a tough girl. We'll just leave it at that before I say something that I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> well, that sounds incredible. I am so jealous. I'm like, relive it. That's just, wow. I mean, I'm sure it was so tough to get back into the swing of things once you returned to the States, right? I mean, you're in Africa for two and a half months in I, the bush. I was going to miss that. But at the same time, I was so ready to go home because we had the same 14 meals. And once you eat spaghetti and tacos and lasagna, like every night for dinner in a row, you start to go crazy. So I, I think my mom thought I was going to stay in Africa forever. And I think a lot of people expected that. But that's when I really learned that I'm not meant to be in the middle of nowhere. Like, I want to be able to go to Starbucks or go somewhere <laughs> and get chicken tenders or go to the class. So, yeah, it's pretty basic for me to say that. But I have no, to. No, at least you're I honest, though. More civilization. So I think initially I wanted to go more of a conservation route. But after experiencing that, I wanted to do more of a zoo route. So maybe later in life, I'll go back to school and get a master's if I want to do conservation. But I think being at a zoo in a big city where I can go to festivals and see movies and all the city things will probably be the healthiest mentally for me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, I honestly thought that, I mean, I wanted to drop everything, my TV stuff, and this was years ago and just live in Africa. But I mean, I was only there for not even like two weeks. I mean, so I'm, I'm sure if I was in isolation for two and a half months, I might've been a little like homesick, but yeah. yeah it wasn't complete isolation. Um, there were probably about 30 staff members, but also seeing the same 30 people all the time and not being able to get away from anyone. And town was about 45 minutes away so it was just a super long dirt road and you had to be careful because things like kudos would run through and if you hit a huge kudu your car's totaled so i really didn't get to town much maybe twice so i was pretty much on our little compound the whole time okay 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 really quick i'm sorry i'm just so into africa though did you see any <laughs> leopards i'm obsessed with leopards I did. I did so we were we would do game counts because ccf is huge it's hundreds of thousands of acres between all our little farms and just the conservancies and it's backed up to the waterberg plateau which is a huge conservancy we're on a game count just counting all the ungulates and fowl and carnivores we would see and so right at the last minute at dusk, the two times I saw them was at dusk. And I just saw this little flash of yellow in the tall grasses. And I was like, stop, slam on your brakes. And then we reversed it. And this leopard was just staring at us. And she was only there for a couple seconds and was gone. So, but I saw her and I got a picture, but it was the blurriest picture I've ever taken. But you can make out the shape of a leopard. So that was good enough for me. Yeah, see, I would get that like blown up in an eight by ten. I would, I wouldn't even care if it's blurry. I've never seen a leopard in the wild. I've been what? to Africa twice. I've just, and but you said you only saw two in two and a half months. Yep, and there were people who had been there for a year and hadn't even seen one. So I consider myself super lucky. They're very elusive. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. So then, okay. So you're, so you're back into the States. Is this when you decide to um, apply for an internship at the Wildlife Safari Park in Oregon? Actually, the wildlife safari internship, I had found out about that in high school because I went on Google and Googled cheetah internships. And that was the only one that popped up because you can't just work with cheetahs because it's too specific. But at the time, 
they had a cheetah-specific internship, but by the time I got there, it had merged into a cheetah and other carnivore internship, so it combined it with tigers, lions, black bears, and brown bears, which was awesome, and I'm really glad I got to experience that. So, again, I went back to school for a little bit, but then I couldn't take it, and I applied to Wildlife Safari, but they were full for the summer, so I went in the fall instead. So that put me back in school a little bit. So I still have a year of school left because I kept taking off in the fall or the winter. And I just couldn't handle life without cheetahs, I guess. So I'm a little older for an undergrad student. So I went to wildlife safari in the fall. And it was two weeks after they had had a litter of four cheetah cubs. (gasps) So when my boss told me that, I just had to hang up the phone and cry and scream because now I get to work with cheetah cubs. So, And that was so awesome to be able to do that. And we would go in and weigh them and then eventually would feed them on sticks. And they got pretty accustomed to us. So they would come up to us. And that was a super awesome experience for me. And we also had a litter of cubs that was about a year old. And so that was my first training experience was at Wildlife Safari. I didn't really do any training at CCF, but I was at Wildlife Safari for just over three months. So, and that's, we did a lot of talks there. I did a lot of talking and speeches in Africa. And then at Wildlife Safari, you're required to be able to give a half an hour talk for each species you work with in the carnivore department. So that was, I was fine with cheetahs, but it was a little rough at first to learn that about lions and tigers and bears. Don't fail <laughs> my. <laughs> Everyone does that. And then I have to pretend to laugh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Okay, go ahead. It gets old after like the 20th time. So old. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Anyways, so, and then once you could do the talks and learn how to clean their exhibits, that's when you got to do the training, which was the fun part. And the first animal I got to train was a lion. And we had a really big lion that's, to me, it looked like it was nine feet tall when he stood up, which probably wasn't accurate, but I didn't ever calculate it. So we could train them to sit and lay down and stand up on their hind legs and, you know, open their mouth and put their paw up on the fence to get a good look at them. So that was a really cool experience for me. And then once I trained the bears and the tigers, I was allowed to get my own cheetah cub to start training that. So that was a super good motivator for someone like me. And so we would do station training at first. And so that was interesting trying to just bridge those gaps for the cheetah cub and and target. So what we would do is we'd stick our fist out and teach the cheetah to come and put its nose on our fist. And so it's supposed to be pretty good recall to get them to just come to us at any time and get them to move where we want them to. So that was really cool trying, being able to say like, I trained this cheetah to do this. So, so I'm just trying to picture it though. I mean, do they put you in a room or are you guys out in the grass? Like I'm trying to figure, and then you're just, <laughs> oh, sorry, I should have explained that. You're like target. <laughs> no, at wildlife safari, they also, it's one of my favorite drive-through zoos because they also have such big enclosures for the animals it's a 600 acre drive-through zoo and they have 22 cheetahs and they're the number one cheetah breeding place in the united states so that was a big plus for me to want to go there so they have big grassy outside areas with chain link fence so the cheetah cubs were on the inside of the fence and i would put my fist on the outside of the fence and they would target me through that so we did that first to get them comfortable with us and then when we were station training them, that's when we went inside. So, wow. and wow. I had a giant male cub and he was very food motivated. So he trained very easily for me. Oh, what was his name? David. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because in Africa, you're like, we had Miziski. I mean, I don't know. I mean, just yeah, no, seriously. Like, well, besides Romeo, it's like. Kabisi and Bahadi and Amani and all these African names. <laughs> like, what's your cheetah's name? Uh, David, I guess. <laughs> name the cheetah David. We definitely didn't. So what they can do for fundraising is offering the cheetah. So that's when you get weird things. Like we had a cub uh, named Zigzag, 
David just gets me. That's just an, it's just, <laughs> is that why you, it's so funny because you avoided telling me his name. You're like, oh, I worked with this male cheater. That specifically, like, I didn't want to say it at first, but um, it was cute. <laughs> he was adorable and he'll always have a special place in my heart. So. Wow. So you're there for three months. And did you like, I, I mean, just the way you're talking, it sounds like you like that more hands-on approach. I mean, more enjoyable for you than Africa? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I first got there, they didn't let you go. The interns go in with the cheetahs at first. So, I mean, you have to build up trust with the people who already work there and more importantly, build up trust with those animals. So they need to hear your voice and see you. And of course, feeding them every day helps to get them to know you too. So, and so we had a couple ambassadors, cheetahs there too. We had Kayam and Makumba who are brother and sister. And then we had our cheetah pancake, who was our little princess. And she was paired with a Rhodesian Ridgeback dog named Deo. So those were the ones that we could do the most unprotected contact with. But just like at CCF, we had so many cheetahs that there was such a range of how, I don't want to say, use the words tame or domesticated, but Mm -hmm. more social to humans. Socialized. Yeah, yeah. That's the better word. Thank you. So it just depends on some will come right up to you and purr and want head scratches and some will hiss and spat at you and slap the ground and run away. So it just kind of depends on how socialized the cheetah is. Okay, so I'm going to put you in a hard situation. You ready? Yep. What if you had to choose between David <laughs> or Romeo? Who would you choose? Oh, I, I I love Romeo, and he's such a big lover boy. But I think I would have to pick David because for me, gaining skills in my professional career, he meant more to that. So... He was the first cheat I trained, so I'm going to have to go with David. Have to go with David. Well, congratulations. That, that's just amazing. What great, I mean, just credentials, you know what I mean? Working way up. I mean, you're just, like you said, building that resume. I mean, that's exactly what you need to do, you know, wanting to get into this field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really do. And I have a lot of people say they don't want to travel, but I think how competitive zookeeping is, you're just going to have to travel to get that experience, especially if you want to be so specialized in a certain animal like I wanted to be. But also my resume is very narrow, I guess I would say, with the amount of species I've worked with for a long amount of time. I'm just mostly all just cheetahs and then a few carnivores here and there. So I don't have very much experience with ungulates or reptiles or birds. And normally that could hinder people looking for a job. But since I am so specified, it has also helped lead me to where I am today. So Mm -hmm. it's a little take and give depending on what you want to do. Yeah. And you said something so important. And this is from our buddy, Matt Price, uh, the Zookeeper Story podcast, which I love. It's such a good podcast. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a great podcast to help new people get into the field. And I wish I would have known about that and your podcast sooner, too. And just podcasts in general. I honestly didn't hardly know what a podcast was. And then when I went out to Wildlife Safari, my drive was like 36 hours. So my friend just played all her podcasts. And I was like, there's probably podcasts about cheetahs and animals and training. And I got super excited. And so anytime I'm cleaning at the zoo, I probably clean for a couple hours in the morning. I always play a podcast. So I feel like I'm constantly learning, which will really help me out in the end. There's a group on Facebook for just zookeepers. And so they made this big thread about podcasts for animal people. So if you want any more to listen to, I'm sure you probably know most of them, but I have a lot listed too. Good. Well, yeah, I'm going to talk to you afterwards about that because I have I have a few, but yeah, I love podcasts. And no, okay, anyway, sorry, we just went down. I went down a huge rabbit hole. But the reason why I brought up zookeeper stories is because that is a reoccurring theme. Is like if you want this position, if you want to be a zookeeper, you have to be willing to travel, like take any opportunity. And it look you you did that <laughs> clear across the country and around yeah. the world. Honestly, when it came to my hometown. I thought to myself, please get me out of here. I'd go anywhere. I don't care how much it costs. <laughs> so, and then the more I worked with cheetahs, the better my mental health got too. And so I went from in high school just being so depressed that I couldn't work with cheetahs. And there was no zoos in my area with cheetahs. But um, Binder Park Zoo in Michigan actually has a couple of cheetahs. I think they have three girls, but that might have changed by now. Mm-hmm. So, but that was too far away in high school. So, after a few years in college, I wanted to be out of there. I'm like, I will go crazy if I don't work with cheetahs. So, wow. 
you are just so passionate. I mean, you are okay. Yeah, you're the you're you are the cheetah whisperer. I feel like this could be like a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have my own TV show talking about cheetahs and African animals. There you but, go. Get in line. No. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I know that's a, a really hard thing to do. So I haven't tried to pursue that at all. But something that is feasible, I can start my yeah. own podcasts with my new microphone about cheetahs if I wanted to. Why don't you? And you know what? The sky's the limit. You could have a TV show about cheetahs. What? I mean, and you, I mean, you really should start a podcast. I could. I thought about it. But and with all my books, my 550 page book, and then I have a 300 page book and multiple couple hundred page of books. I would never run out of material. So See, I would 100% listen. I, I swear I would, <laughs> I, I, I no, I'm serious. I think it's really interesting. I, I really think you should start it. I really I do. And I don't have any friends here yet. So I have nothing better to do at the moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> People so are like, what do you do when you go home and I'm like, mm, I pet my cats right now. So we're working on getting friends here. So I just need to meet some more people, but I think that's another thing that scares people about moving is not knowing anyone or leaving their friends and family. But I would say just dive right into it and you'll meet plenty of friends soon. So I've been at the Columbus Zoo for about a month. So I know people in my department and now I think I'm comfortable enough to start really branching out. Good. Okay. Like, yeah, I was going to say, cause you're, cause you're seasonal now mm-hmm. at, at the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, which beautiful place. I mean, just one of the best zoos in the country. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gorgeous. So I'm in the animal programs department in the Africa section. So what we do um, is pretty much take animals to TV shows and news stations, birthday parties, weddings, and it just focuses on educational outreach, which I think it's amazing to have a department just for that. So in my department, we have 13 cheetahs, we have warthogs, and right before I got there, we had two litters of warthogs. So I went to visit a couple weekends just to start training. And that's when they told me that not one, but both of our female warthogs were pregnant. So right before I got there, it was like, boom, boom, two litters of baby warthogs. So my first official day of the summer, they took me into the nursery in the hospital and there were seven little baby warthogs, just these teeny tiny things. And they were so cute and so ugly at the same time. But they all just, (laughs) They had a little cat bed in there, and all seven of them pile on top of each other in the cat bed. Oh, my so goodness. What? Super oh. cute, but at the same time, they have baby tusks. So when you try to feed them, we give them banana mash now. And mm. when they're a little bit younger, we would feed it to them out of our hands to encourage them to eat. And their little tusk would just stab you like needles. And the other people were, didn't really like it and said it hurts, but I was just taking the pain because – to me, everything is still so new and exciting, and I don't think it will ever stop being exciting. So I don't care how dirty something is, how painful something is. If they ask me to do it, I'm going to do it. And I'm pretty sure they could like tell me to get down in the sewer and unclog the drain, and I would do it. <laughs> At the end <laughs> of the day, awesome. I'm around cheetahs, and that's all I need and want. So I'm just a yes, sir, yes, ma'am type of person at this point. I'll tell you what, Aaron, you, I see a lot of success in your future and I sound like a fortune teller, but no, I'm, I sound like Mr. Cleo over here, but no, I'm being serious because that is, it's exactly what I think more people should do. I mean, who want to pursue anything though in life, any job or anything, you need to be willing to do it, do the grunt work. Don't complain. Don't, yeah, that you are on the right track. Well, I wasn't always like this. I will admit that. Um, at first, that's why I'm glad I've had so many internship because it lets you kind of get the bad stuff out of your system. So I'm sure I used to complain a little bit, but, or have sometimes I think I may have had an attitude here and there. I'm not going to lie, but by now I've gotten that all out of my system. And if something doesn't make me happy, you just don't externalize it. You keep it inside and you smile and you be a yes man and you do whatever they tell you to do. And you do it with a happy attitude. And I think that's what people really need to focus on to get them ahead. So even if I'm having a really bad day, you'll never be able to tell at this point. And then when I get home, I just get my little blizzard from Dairy Queen and I recuperate and we're good to go the next day. That sounds good, a blizzard. Gosh, now I hope you're (laughs) in a good mood today right now. Is this just, (laughs) I hope you're having fun now. (laughs) I'm in a great mood. I've been reading my cheetah books all day. I'm trying to get my talks ready for our shows. So I've just, all I do is read my Cheeto books and watch Netflix and go to bed and pet the cats and repeat. 
<laughs> there you go. Okay, I have to ask the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, and you work in the education department with the TV animals. Have you met Jack? Jack yeah, Hanner? I actually met him. My See, my first day of the summer, it was like, boom, baby warthogs, and then boom, another surprise that I can't talk about right now. So once I can, I'll let you know, and you can put it in the little bio of this episode. Okay, okay. And then we'll all of a sudden, boom, Jack Hanna was there. So I'm just trying really hard not to fangirl and pass out and squeal. Because there's babies and Jack Hanna, and it was just a very overwhelming best day ever. So where I, was this though? Was this was this a local TV station? No, this was all in that little nursery room in the hospital, and so. And Jack just walks in. Yeah, because he went to see our new little additions. So. Wow, that I I've never met Jack before. I hear he's a very quiet man. I would not say that. I mean, he's, <laughs> I wouldn't say like he's loud. I just meant like. He's very, he's the nicest famous person I have ever met in my entire life. Not that I've met a lot of famous people. I was like, who else have you met? Well, like, <laughs> for leaders of organizations, sometimes these people put so much dedication into it and their organization is their baby and they just get so stressed out. They, they're so busy and sometimes things they say come off mean and maybe they don't want a picture and they don't want an autograph, but he was just so happy and so nice to me. And he had small talk with me and he is just super nice. And he'll always take pictures and sign autographs for people. And he's a great guy. You can ask anyone at that zoo. He's just an amazing man. And what he's done for the Columbus zoo and the Columbus community is just amazing. And I like to tell people that the Columbus zoo has the best species in the United States because we have Jack Hanna. So <laughs> he really has put our zoo to fame. And I think yeah, that's awesome. he's, I'm sure you've heard of it, but that's a great book. If you haven't read monkeys on the interstate with Jack Hanna, have you read that one? I have not. I've read his biography mm-hmm. and that's it for that. Yeah, no, that's good. It's, I think it was written in the 80s, but Monkeys on the Interstate, and he talks about how he transformed the Columbus Zoo into a now like a, one of the top zoos in the country. I mean, so it's really interesting. You should check it out. It's a really good book. A little older, but it's a really good book about him. And he, I'll that he do wrote. that. I will definitely yeah. do that. Thanks for the recommendation. Of course, of course. And uh, yeah, just how incredible the Columbus Zoo. And oh my goodness, and you're also underneath Susie. Can I tell you my fanboy moment? Are you ready? Uh, yeah. You ready? So I was a spokesperson in 2016 for the AZA safe program. And so, um, I got, I worked with the Columbus zoo with, uh, got to work with baby, uh, cloud leopard cubs and it just, it just a dream come true. But guess who I got to meet who I recognize. You ready for this? Was it Susie? Susie. I yeah. was so excited. I was like, cause I'm a huge Jack Hanna fan and I'm a nerd, you know, like you. So I, you know, I've seen all of Jack's TV appearances. And if you watch Jack's TV appearances, Susie's everywhere. Susie's yeah. been around for years. Well, she's the vice I, president of animal programs. So she's always going to be everywhere too. So yeah. to work under her is quite an honor. Plus she loves cheetahs just as much as I do. So that's always a plus. What is your end goal? I mean, what's the end goal for your career? Where do you see yourself? <laughs> that's thinking? a hard question. I have really high aspirations And so I get people try to talk me down a lot because they are so high. And so I want to maybe be on the field tag group or help with the cheetah SSP or go back to Michigan and help a zoo start their own cheetah outreach program or a cheetah breeding program in Michigan. So I have a lot of things I could do, maybe even go into conservation or do just a lot of outreach and talks. But right now I'm just chilling at the Columbus Zoo and I'm good where I am just because they're such a big cheetah zoo and we have so many cheetahs and Susie loves bringing in new cheetahs and I want to be at a place where we have lots of cheetahs all the time. So plus the Columbus Zoo is amazing and the Columbus area, there's so many things to do as well. And it's great being at a zoo that's so conservation heavy. They actually have 70 conservation projects in over 35 countries. And wow. with the Cheetah Conservation Fund, Action for Cheetahs in Kenya, and Cheetah Outreach in South Africa. So to be a part of that was just a really great opportunity for me. Yeah, you are on the right track. I'll tell you what, you're a great speaker. You are, uh, and you're in a great program. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, are you waiting for an open position at Columbus? Is that what you're waiting for? The problem is that Columbus is such a good zoo that their turnover rate is really small. So, Susie uh, has to retire sometime. 
but I am perfectly prepared to just sit tight as a seasonal for as long as it takes. Um, maybe I'll shift into a different department if the opportunity comes available. I would really prefer to not do that. I just want to be with cheetahs all the time. So we'll see. But I have always been a very cheap, frugal person, and I know how to live on a very small, tight budget. So garage sales and Goodwills are my best friend. So I think <laughs> I think I'd be pretty okay on a minimum wage budget for at least a couple years. But if it gets to a point where it's been too many years, then I'll know I'll have to leave just financially to pay off student loans and things like that. So, mm-hmm. but, but I'm sure at that point, hopefully another Z would take me as a full-time cheetah keeper. Yeah. I, you, I, you, like I said, you have something great coming in your future. Your, your resume is fantastic. You're at the right place. You have so much experience and yeah, I cannot wait to to really see where your career goes and you're still so young. You're a baby. I, thank you. I'm like really excited too to just have this all under my belt. Um, sometimes people ask how it feels to just be 23 and be a little older in undergrad, but it doesn't bother me at all just because I've gotten the opportunity to have so much experience already. So I just want to keep adding more cheetah experience. And ideally, see, the nice thing about being a seasonal at the Columbus Zoo is that you can only work 10 months out of the year. So in those two months off, I'd like to raise enough money to get over back to Africa and visit South Africa and work with Cheetah Outreach and go to Kenya and work with Action for Cheetahs in Kenya so I can have that experience with every single cheetah conservation group that we support. So, But that will be a lot of money, so that might need to get pushed back a little bit. But Hey, we'll start the, start the uh, GoFundMe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it worked for you before. <laughs> I don't think it would feel socially acceptable for me to ask for that much money again. So I think I'll just get a job as a waitress in the off time and work yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's so cool that you are just doing what you love to do and you're passionate and I can just see your enthusiasm and passion. And you were such a great podcast guest. Uh, ugh, podcast guest. I can talk. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, no, but you literally just got, and I just wish the audience who's listening could see you because you just, you're wearing your cheetah conservation shirt. Your eyeshadow is cheetah colored. Like this is, <laughs> this is awesome. See, another thing is in the zookeeper community, if you wear a lot of makeup as a female, it's kind of weird. Like that's not the norm and people look at you weird and make fun of you. But in my department, it's good to wear a lot of makeup. So I can wear my sparkly yellow Fenty eyeshadow. Fenty is the makeup brand by Rihanna. Got a shout out to my girl. So <laughs> and I love sparkles. So if I'm going to wear all my cheetah stuff, you got to have matching eyeshadow. Yeah. Well, you look good. You look good. You're 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 dressed for the part. So let's leave the podcast. Tell me something. Tell me something about interesting, like a fact about cheetahs that maybe a lot of people don't know. And you could say one or two or just something that's like, you know, that that sticks out. Oh, hmm. One of my favorite things is that when a cheetah is running, it's full sprint at 70 miles per hour. It can only keep that speed for about 30 seconds. And in this time period, its body heat raises to up to 105 degrees. So it raises about four degrees and their heartbeat goes from about 60 beats per minute to 150 beats per minute. So at this point, they have to stop running or they're going to overheat and potentially have brain damage. And then if they do get a kill, it that takes them so long to cool down, they actually have to take about half an hour before they can even eat their prey. So although cheetahs are pretty successful in their hunts, a lot of times their kill gets taken away by lions, hyenas, leopards, and even a big group of vultures can chase a cheetah away from their kill. And gazelles actually evolved to have an adaptation to outwork the cheetah with overheating. So gazelles, that warm blood from their heart, it goes to a sinus cavity in their head and it actually cools that blood down before it gets to the brain. So a gazelle's body can actually get up to 109 degrees, but their brain stays at 105 degrees. So gazelles have the advantage of endurance, but cheetahs have the advantage of acceleration. So a cheetah can go from zero to 60 in just three seconds and so that's just three sides. They're going from a dead standstill to almost a full-out sprint. 
So the cheetah has to get really close if they're going to catch that gazelle. So that's good. Going, but I'm going to leave it at that to spin. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, I've, I've learned so much about cheetahs and I'm so happy to be featuring them on the podcast. Good. I'll send you some pictures too. So if you put it on your website, you can have good cheetah pictures. Please do. And then can you let the listeners know where can they follow you? Instagram, Facebook? Oh yes. I have to plug my Instagram. Thank you. That's a big thing for millennials and people my age. So my Instagram is at cheetah underscore whisperer. So, and then my full name is Aaron Vargo and you can always look me up on that. And I'm super friendly. So anyone can feel free to DM me or message me and add me on Facebook. And I'll always talk to people, I'll always help people try to figure out a path for them to get to a good career. I especially like talking to young people too. I like helping them out. So, well, uh, Aaron, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me and have a good night. <laughs> yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.